All throughout the Old Testament, encountering the all-powerful God sometimes meant pain, death, and destruction. But today, we hear of a story where the encounter is tender enough that an unborn baby isn't fearful, but leaps for joy. Where do we find our joy? This is the third episode in our Advent series where we'll take a different approach to finding joy. Let's go. Welcome to the Growing People Podcast. I'm your host, Jared. Growing people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and with that, we find our purpose more clear as we near Him. And near to me right now is our fearless leader, Mark Snodgrass. Welcome back, Mark. Jared, good to see you, man. It's the third week of Advent. I It is absolutely flying by. Every year, I look ahead, it's like, okay, four weeks of Advent, and, and Christmas is so far away, and we're already three quarters of the way through that. We're here. It's exciting. I am so excited to talk about what it was that you preached yesterday in this idea of jumping for joy as we as we get nearer to God. And everything is really centered around uh, the unborn John the Baptist. But to give, if I can, some further context maybe into that story, I wanted to start with Elizabeth, his mom. Elizabeth, she is the proverbial thousand years old she's not quite that right she's definitely portrayed in the story as well beyond childbearing age pretty miraculous that god has opened her womb at this point it came from an encounter that her husband zechariah had he was then promised that you're going to have a son elizabeth then becomes pregnant uh prior to that though she was very much a law-abiding scroll reading, straight and narrow Jewish woman that for all intents and purposes should have been blessed with a child, but was without, was was barren. Both her and Zechariah had done everything God had ever asked of. And for whatever reason, you can do everything God asks of you and still not be blessed with a child. So that's where they were at. And going, if I can paraphrase in Deuteronomy, it says that those that keep the laws and follow them will be blessed by the Lord with love and children. And and yet here she is, bless less. Again, it's one of those examples in scripture where everything lines up and two and two ought to equal four, but it doesn't. You, you obey the law. You do what God asks you to do. You should be blessed. But here, here's another example where it, it doesn't, doesn't work out that way. But after this encounter that her husband has with the angel in the temple, finally, Elizabeth is blessed with a child. She is pregnant. Through that period of time, a number of months pass, and Mary shows up at her doorstep with a story or a pregnancy of her own. Yeah, what a fantastic moment to have. Elizabeth, who was said to be barren, uh, she's now with child. And then Mary, who had never been married and has told her family and obviously is recounting to Elizabeth that an angel said, I'm going to have a baby and this is not Joseph's baby. I should not be pregnant, but here I am. And I am. And, and, And you have to, this is the part of the story we tell every Advent leading up to Christmas. I mean, you have to get into this 
story and realize no one in town believed this. No one in Nazareth believed that that 13, 14 year old Mary mm-hmm. had seen an angel. If the Advent stories do anything, they definitely teach a lot of biology. No accident that Luke was a doctor. And I don't know if he had quite the biological understanding that we have today in the 21st century, but writing in the first century, he definitely included all of these biological details, um, which just added to the the miraculousness of, of all of it. So in that moment, it wasn't that Elizabeth was disbelieving of Mary or scolding Mary. In fact, it says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit, which let's pause there for a second. That in and of itself, prior to Pentecost, is incredibly rare throughout the Bible. People are filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament for a a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. And those moments need to be paid attention to, need to be understood Mm -hmm. that something is happening here. And what Elizabeth does with that infilling of the Holy Spirit is speak a blessing over Mary. Mm -hmm. Well, keep in mind, Luke is... Luke is already in he his intentions are to write the Acts story as well. And so his gospel, it, the primary character obviously is Jesus, but he is already dropping these hints that the Holy Spirit is now taking on a different role in salvation history. And even in the story of Jesus with all the miraculous things leading leading up to his birth, the Holy Spirit's presence. So you're going to see that in Luke throughout the Holy Spirit show up in more prominent ways uh, than he did in um, the other two or the other three gospels. Then through that blessing, Mary then sings her own song and it kind of proves Mary's background that she was very much pure and righteous in the eyes of the Lord, because this song that she sings is just absolutely littered with Old Testament scroll language. She starts with she starts with quoting parts of Hannah's song from mm-hmm. from First Samuel, uh, but then there were twelve other references from the Old Testament where she is really calling on God's character, God's mercy, and this idea that. God's love will be for generation to generation. It's this beautifully woven song that makes it very clear that she is close to the Lord herself. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's also, you know, Luke's being very intentional here to see how she is the continuation of all these Old Testament prophecies and the Old Testament story, which Hannah, by the way, obviously, you know, here's another moment in, salvation history where hannah prayed for a son and ultimately was given one in samuel but yeah here's one story after another of of god being being faithful so if i can lean back maybe a handful of months before this encounter we find mary's story and when she encountered this angel who said that you are going to be mm-hmm. you're going to become pregnant with it with a son of god this announcement this conception of jesus was so fantastical and miraculous and powerful something that is is easy to miss here is the quote that says that the holy spirit will overshadow you mm-hmm. 
that language that's used is the same language used during Jesus's transfiguration, where this physical cloud comes down. And that's where Jesus spoke with Elisha, spoke with Moses, and then himself glowed kind of in the the very presence of God, this exact word is used to describe how Mary will, will conceive. So this physical cloud comes down and Mary, I believe, has a near face-to-face encounter with God. It was this, this power that overshadowed her that then allowed her to conceive. That's certainly consistent with how you know Luke lays out the narrative. I mean, the angel of the Lord appears to uh, Mary sort of as a proxy of God in that moment. So Mary is having an encounter with the divine and, and yeah, I love the linkage linkage of the word overshadow that, that, okay, here's the presence of God, obviously initiating uh, the conception uh, there in, in that story. And then that same presence of God, that holiness of God overshadows the Mount of transfiguration. So here in that moment, like the holiness of God is becoming flesh. You know, here's this manifestation of God's holiness in a way that it had never been manifested before. Uh, so, so that's the, the, the moment of incarnation. One of the most powerful moments for me was being uh, at the site in Nazareth in Israel. It's the site of the Annunciation where the angel comes to deliver this news to Mary. And at the spot where archaeologists think this might have happened, which obviously they can't be there. They can't be for certain, but sure. as our tour guide told us about a hundred times, if not here, how far could it be? It's definitely closer than Lenexa. <laughs> sure. And so, you know, you're there in that moment of the Annunciation and the, the little altar that they built to, to mark the spot. It has just this simple phrase on it, uh, written in Latin, the word became flesh, which we read in our Bibles, but then it adds one word here. The word became flesh here to think about being in the physical space where that miracle happened uh, in it, it, it was really overwhelming. I, I always do this at Christmas too, even thinking about what's going on biologically uh, in Mary, you know, the, the, the holiness, the majesty, the infinite nature of God was now in a uterus at a cellular level growing that just still boggles my mind. Um, But that's what it meant for God to become flesh. I mean, we wrestle with that, you know, with, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, Jesus as a baby and, and that is amazing. That's what we're going to celebrate here at Christmas. But then I even back it up to like, at some point, Jesus was, you know, in utero and at a cellular level. I mean, it doesn't even have hands and feet at this point. It just really demonstrates what a, what a miraculous thing this is. And really prior to this point, encountering God face to face, like I think Mary did, wasn't a, for most people, wasn't a pleasant experience. I think of, Go back to the Jacob and Esau story. Uh, Jacob steals the birthright and then skips town, wrestles with an angel, wrestles with God. He walks away with a busted hip. 
as a as a remembrance of of what he went through. Moses encountered God on Mount Sinai, and just seeing the back of God glowed so brightly that the the biblical writers use the word he had horns, light horns coming out of his head but he was glowing so brightly he had, mm-hmm. he had beams of light coming from him and even in exodus god says that god's face can't be seen and you live there's just mm-hmm. so much power there a lot encountered god in the form of two angels before the destruction of sodom and gomorrah well, and don't forget even the ark of the covenant was being transported and you know these two Levites did their best to steady it so that it wouldn't fall, but they touched it and, and they died, you know, because they, they came into close proximity with the holiness of God. So it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so we see this first experience in the new Testament of someone encountering God to the point of the level of transfiguration. And she isn't, killed she she doesn't walk away with a busted hip or you know some some scar but she walks away literally infilled with holiness incarnate yeah it it really is amazing and so it's this mary that with the 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 faith and trusting of the angel walks some i don't know 80 miles ish to go see elizabeth it's at this point you've got Elizabeth now pregnant with who was later called John the Baptist and Mary pregnant with Jesus that now you've got these two unborns encountering one another mm-hmm. and where you might expect that there is some holy fear happening here there's there's lightning encountering like this all-powerful god of the old testament is here in unborn form Mm -hmm. and yet is so tender Mm -hmm. that unborn john's response isn't fear or trembling but it's described as jumping yeah yeah this and this is where we we really parked for the sermon is to think about uh the joy that was present in that moment and obviously john had been chosen for a particular task to uh prepare the way for jesus the way god relates to humanity it has certainly changed here you you mentioned all those old testament encounters and uh all those stories that emphasize the holiness and the absolute otherness of god And now God is doing something new. It's a new covenant. It's a new way of relating to humanity. It is in the flesh. And here's John the Baptist in utero, appointed for this message to prepare the way, recognizes it. And he's overjoyed. And and even in utero makes a response to this new thing that God is doing. I think it's also a story that illustrates the importance of life and how life is precious in the womb and God is at work and there's grace at work uh, in life that is, uh, that is, is, is not yet born. Uh, and so I, I love leaning into that aspect of this story to understand just the importance of, of life uh, and unborn life. 
before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Right. And here John is in the womb knowing Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah. It's rich. It's rich. So we leap for joy at this good news. So then how much more now that we are living in a day and age post Pentecost where we have direct access to the Holy Spirit, how much more joy can we feel? Can we experience the closer that that we get to Jesus or the more that we allow the Spirit to move in our lives? Yeah, and, and this is what we talked about in the sermon. You know, what is it that makes you jump? What is it that makes you leap for joy? What are the things that uh, elicit a physical response, you know, to, to happiness, uh, some, some kind of happiness that you've experienced? And are we physically responding in joy to what God is doing? I've seen people get uh, really happy uh, when the Chiefs win. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and now I'm one of them. Um, I've also seen them get really upset when they, they lose or when receivers can't catch passes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, not to bring up that, but like if all of these things make us joyful and we have this physical response to something that makes us happy, um, should we not also be filled with the same kind of joy for what God is doing uh, in our world? Um, and so, so, so God, God is at work. God is present. He's with us and um, we can, we can jump for joy. We can respond with joy. I do want to draw a clear distinction between happiness and joy. Yeah. Where sure. happiness is this is a, a fleeting emotion that is up and down all the time. And if I go back to what I learned in children's church, my, my mom, believe it or not, was my children's pastor. And you learn that that joy stands for Jesus, others, and yourself. When you when you put Jesus first, and He is the the star by which you are guided by, and then through that, you then impact others and love others above everything that you are. While there are going to be times where you aren't happy, you are experiencing real pain, real heartache. You can still, because you are anchored by those things, you can still find joy. Can I define joy as an excited hopefulness for something to come? Certainly hopefulness. Yeah, it is this, it is this sense of contentment and hopefulness, resting and knowing that God is uh, with you and is at work in the world. Something we can be excited for. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that, that is a, that's a great Advent message for us because, okay. So Advent teaches us to await Christ's second coming. And so when Christ comes, I want to be leaping for joy. And so to warm up for that, I have to find my joy in what, what Jesus is doing in the world. And, and often what Jesus is doing in the world is not the thing that receives the most fanfare. It's often not the easy thing to do. Um, what Jesus is doing in the world is often done through people we would least expect. And so are, are we engaged in the things that, that God wants us to be engaged in, doing the ministry he wants us to do? Are we mindful of these people that Mary talks about in her song? She talks about the poor being uplifted. She talks about the oppressed and the injustices being corrected. 
So those are the things that God is doing in the world. And do those things bring us joy? Does that make us leap for joy? Are we joining with God in those things? So, so we practice for Christ's second coming. If those things bring us joy while we await Christ's return, then we'll be ready for his return. And, how much yeah, and we'll how, be filled with joy when when he when he finally comes. So it wasn't until unborn John was in proximity with unborn Jesus that we get this scene of jumping for joy. Do I need to first position myself in the spirit and with the Lord to experience that joy? Or do you think that the spirit would move without me moving? Does that make sense? Am I asking that the right way? Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I think the answer is yes. I, I think there are times where, where we have to be intentional about positioning ourselves in close proximity to what God is doing. He's revealed things to us in his word. We know certain things to be true. We know these are the things that, that, that God is about. And so we intentionally position ourselves there and, and we find joy. And then I think there are other times uh, similar to how Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where God breaks in and surprises us. And, and we, you know, have that encounter with him. So honestly, I think it's both end. Why am I excited right now? This is, this is exciting. Because, you know, because God's at work in your life and there's opportunities for joy. We serve a God that has made himself available and approachable. Because we are filled with the spirit, we can come near, not in fear, but with great joy. In this season of Advent, we're reminded that Jesus is the source of our joy. Mark, thanks again. This was fun. It was fun. I love talking about these Advent passages and these familiar stories. We tell them every year, but every year they roll around and I can't wait to tell them again. And thank you for joining us in today's podcast. This was episode three of our Advent series. So if you haven't checked out the other two, go back and then come back next week for our final episode as we lead into Christmas. Here at Central, we are a growing people who are growing people. And we believe strongly in your ability to grow. So please submit your questions about your journey with Christ to centralchurchonline.com slash podcast. See you next time.